Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode from Alien Attorney. My name is Heather, and I'm here with Dahlia today. And unfortunately, this is the last episode of the year, right, Dahlia? Yes, this is our year in review, a year in review, looking back at 2020 and just, you know, the biggest changes that we had with immigration law and what affected, you know, immigration the most. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, Heather. Yeah, like Dahlia said, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And just like we give you a little preface before every single episode, none of these are our personal opinions, and they are all based on facts that we found online that you can also find as well. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's go ahead and get started with the first policy that has changed the lives of immigrants and have made a big impact in 2020. So the first one is actually going to be COVID. So obviously, COVID has been a major impact on everyone, not just necessarily immigrants, but the immigrant population has had a rough time with COVID. So after the coronavirus virus broke out in the U.S., the entire country essentially went into panic mode. You know, people lost their jobs and food insecurity rose exponentially and the economy was just continuously declining. And this was just really difficult for many immigrant communities, especially for those who are undocumented, because a lot of these people couldn't apply for the stimulus checks and they couldn't get the help that they needed. So a lot of people ended up having trouble finding work as well. And, you know, and that ended up making them struggle to get money and having like another way to support their families and whatnot. So a lot of people who are also of Asian descent experienced a lot of discrimination because Trump essentially dubbed the term the China virus because the COVID originated in Wuhan, which is a city located in China's Hubei province. So because of that, it created a lot of tension for people, especially for those within the immigrant community. But not only that, Trump also used the virus as a way to justify various travel and immigration restrictions. So for example, back in April, Trump issued an executive order that really stopped just, it stopped providing certain classes of green cards, including some family and employment-based visas. And that ultimately led to around 358,000 people being rejected from coming to the U.S. each year. And then later on, a few months later in June, Trump issued another rule that stopped many like skilled workers and seasonal workers and exchange visitors and employees of many multinational companies from entering the U.S. So that was a really big hindrance um, for the immigrant community, that especially after COVID. Yeah, and, you know, like Heather was saying, COVID definitely affected everyone in so many ways, and it's no surprise that it affected, you know, our government, our policies, and we definitely saw that this past year and these past few months, as she was saying in the article that we were using, you know, it states that Trump used the virus as a way to justify various travel and immigration restrictions, and that is coming into play with one another big change that we experienced with immigration law, which was that, you know, the Supreme Court began in 2020, they began giving their blessings to President Trump to his public charge rule. And what is a public charge rule? What is that? Because I had never heard of it before reading this article, but apparently it is a controversial policy that subjects current and would be immigrants to far greater financial scrutiny. So it just makes it harder overall um, in very basic terms. It just makes it harder for people to obtain their visas. It 
makes them fill out a lot of paperwork, even more than they already have had to do. The rule increased the administrative burden on visa applicants, and it also blocked prior green card applicants. The rule also drastically increased stress levels for anyone dealing with immigration filings in 2020. Legal challenges to the rule continued throughout the year. And in December, the Ninth Circuit temporarily blocked the rule's application in 18 states. But as COVID came along, this rule came back and it will be reinstated and it has been reinstated. And it's actually something that's been existent for a while. The public charge, public charge was first actually introduced and established in Congress in 1882 in order to allow the U.S government to deny a U.S. visa to anyone who is likely at any time to become a public charge. But they don't specifically define what a public charge is. Under the Trump administration, this rule is being interpreted broadly to reduce the number of people who are eligible for a green card and other visas by redefining what makes them dependent on government benefits or what will be in the future. And basically what they use to determine if people fall under this rule is if they're dependent on just social security services or EBT, food stamps, stuff like that. So if you're using those services, then they put you under that rule and use it as a reason to not or to make it difficult, more difficult for people to obtain their visas. And this rule was proposed by the Trump administration and it is scheduled to take effect or it was scheduled to take effect on October the 15th, 2019. So it is in effect as of now. And that's just one of what one of the policies that has really affected immigration law currently. Following, we're actually going to discuss DACA, right, Heather? Yeah, so DACA has been in something that's been widely debated on for a long time. So starting in 2017, the Trump administration actually announced that they were going to end the um, deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, which is better known as DACA. And this is an essentially an Obama-era program that allowed children who were in the U.S. illegally to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action from deportation, and that helped them become eligible for a work permit. So many people were really outraged by this when Trump decided in 2017 that they would end the program. But this past June, the Supreme Court made a ruling that would allow for 700,000 young people to continue to live and lawfully work in the U.S. But then a month later, the Department of Homeland Security said that they would prevent new applicants from receiving DACA status. And they also stopped current DACA recipients from receiving advanced parole to travel internationally. And they changed the duration of the two-year period into a one-year period. So people were still outraged by that. But then there was another change that just happened this month, actually. So in the beginning beginning of December, a judge ordered the Department of Homeland Security to start accepting new DACA applicants, which finally restored the new the program in total. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about DACA and we're talking about public charge or things like that, you know, COVID, things that have brought upon changes and we're not done yet. As Heather said earlier, um, another change that we saw with immigration policy this year was asylum, had to do with asylum seekers and refugees, actually. So after the COVID-19 pandemic began, border and immigration officials used public health rules to turn away tens of thousands of asylum seekers from the U.S. border with Mexico. 
the United States continued to require tens of thousands of asylum seekers to wait in Mexico while their cases were considered, a policy that the Supreme Court is now scrutinizing. This past October, Trump reduced the refugee cap for fiscal 2020 to just 15,000, a record low and a fraction of what was permitted by Obama in 2016. So, we saw this change with the people that were being allowed in with COVID now reinstated. And the article states that because of COVID, they were using it as an excuse to turn people away. According to rescue.org, the Trump administration is claiming to be protecting the public health, but in reality is attacking asylum seekers. This article states that the Trump administration is using the pretext of the coronavirus pandemic to intensify its years-long attack on asylum seekers. Those that request safe haven do have a legal right to request that protection in the U.S. and should not be criminalized or separated from their children, as stated in the article. An example of something that's being done due to the coronavirus pandemic at the border is are the border closures. In March, the administration issued and ordered immediately the denial entry of non-citizens that arrived at the border with no opportunity to request sanctuary. In just six weeks, the Customs and Border Patrol denied entry to some 20,000 people, including 400 unaccompanied children. CPB considered these cases for an average of just 96 minutes each before deciding to turn back asylum seekers without any ability to bolster their case or provide more information. Now, this is all from the website that I mentioned earlier, rescue.org. They offer all these statistics and data backing their claims as well. Another example would be asylum seekers are denied a fair hearing. In June, the administration went one step further by proposing new regulations that would effectively end the asylum system as we know it. Not just denying the pandemic for years to come, but denying asylum seekers any chance at a fair hearing. Wow, that's really interesting. I actually didn't know a lot about that. I didn't either before reading about it today. Yeah, it's super interesting. So in addition to that, there's actually been a lot of trouble at the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services as well, or better known as USCIS. So basically the USCIS has been having some financial issues within the last few years. So this hasn't been something that's just present in 2020. So For instance, in 2019, the agency wanted to double the fee for marriage-based green cards, and they wanted to place a 60% increase in fees for people wanting to be naturalized. But a judge stopped them from increasing the fee this past December, so a lot of people were a little more relieved for that. But the USCIS also threatened to furlough over 13,000 employees to make up for their lack in budget, but they didn't end up going through with that. Instead, Joseph Edlow, who is the USCIS Deputy Director for Policy, said that there will be aggressive spending cuts to be ma- uh, made w- so that it will, quote, increase backlogs and wait times across the board with no guarantee we can avoid future furloughs, end quote. And then he added that congressional fundings will be necessary to keep the agency going throughout the next year. So those are just a few things that have contributed to why, has, why there's been a lot of trouble at the USCIS. Yeah, and following that, we can also look at some requirements for visa applicants. Obviously, there are a lot of requirements when you're applying for a visa, but in the past year, we've seen more requirements being added, more than what is always been standard. 
And we're going to talk a little bit about it. So during 2020, USCIS and the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services introduced a lot of measures designed to complicate the process of seeking visas, citizenship, or immigration benefits. In January, USCIS announced new secure mail rules requiring immigrants to personally take advantage of work permits, green permits, and other immigration documents. And we saw that in August, it emerged that USCIS had begun rejecting applications on which any field was left blank. So if you were to fill out that application and left a um, field blank because it did not apply to you, they would still just completely um, reject, they would completely reject the whole application. And in, this, in September, the administration announced plans to require DNA, retinal scans, and other you know, expanded biometrics data from immigrants, including children and also their sponsors. So it's just a lot of more, just more requirements, things that we hadn't seen before, things that are new this year when looking into getting a visa, things that just complicate the process when it is already very complicated as stated. And then following, we also saw that, you know, with visas, it's just tougher to get citizenship, right, Heather? Yeah, definitely. So there's been a lot of factors that contributed to the reasons that non-U.S. citizens are having a tougher time trying to obtain citizenship, just like the ones that you mentioned. So, for example, in addition to the ones you mentioned, there's been a lot of staff shortages at the USCIS, like I mentioned before. There's been office closures and so on. You know, the list goes on. So people also found that these bureaucratic delays prevented almost 300,000 eligible applicants of their chance to get naturalized by November 3rd, this past November 3rd, actually, which was election day, meaning that they weren't eligible to vote in the 2020 election, which was arguably the most critical elections in modern day. Some people wouldn't agree with that. Some people would agree with that. That's why I said arguable. But Then in November, the Trump administration announced a very long and difficult and politically conservative critics test, which was expected to further slow the USCIS from processing naturalization cases even more. So finally, the Justice Department also established a new office. And within that new office, their main job is to revoke citizenship from foreign-born Americans. So all of that contributed to this tougher path to citizenship that made it really hard for immigrants. Yeah, and I could definitely, you know, see that in the past year, how there was just a lot more more requirements added to, to obtaining visas, you know, border control was tightened. We saw that you talked about just a tougher path to citizenship and overall what we've been seeing in the news, you know, what we've been voting for. The presidential election has actually also been impacted a lot and been very impactful to immigration policies. And to the surprise of some, Trump chose to not make immigration a key part of his re-election campaign, with really just not mentioning a lot about immigrants and a very few build-the-wall chants. Compared to his first presidential campaign, we know that that was what the majority of it consisted of in his rallies or debate appearances. Instead, Trump sought to chip away at minority support for Democrats making important inroads among Hispanic voters in South Florida and increasing his overall share of the Latino vote from 18% in 2016 to around 28% in 2020. So it actually grew. And that wasn't enough, as we have seen, to secure victory over Joe Biden. However, leaving the White House to close out 2020 by 
scrambling to lock in Trump legacy on immigration policy before President-elect Biden takes office. So there was a difference in how he approached this election, which is what we saw and was a difference in how he approached this. And that's what we've discussed. And just overall, there's been just so many changes this year. Looking back at this year, we really see, you know, what's happened um, with presidents and with their policies and immigration. And yeah, it's just nice to look at, look back at it all. Yeah, it's definitely been a very interesting year, a year like no other. And that's what makes 2020 unique, whether or not you want to interpret that as a good or a bad thing. (laughs) But thank you, Dahlia. It's been a pleasure talking with you throughout the year about the various things that have affected immigrants and the immigration policies in the U.S. that have changed and, you know, you know, just changed throughout the entire year. So... We hope that you all have a wonderful holiday season and tune in for more podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more, feel free to check out alienattorney.com. There you can find more articles regarding various subjects regarding immigration policy. So thank you all per usual for listening and have a great have a great day. Thank you so much, guys. It was so much fun. Thank you, Heather. And yes, it was so nice looking back at this year with you guys and sharing all these moments and happy holidays and thank you so much for hearing us.